Having more or less successfully completed their mission with the centaurs, the Thundermen are headed back to school. But first, a night out on the town and a few drinks with friends. What could go wrong? We listen to episode 17 of Taz Graduation, so you know what that means. It's time for Talking Taz. Alright everyone, welcome back to Talking Taz, your weekly journey through the worlds of the Adventure Zone Graduation. With you as always is me, your host and producer, PJ, and with me as always is my lovely co-host, Lauren. Hello! Lauren, what'd you think of this episode? My stress level has not gone down for the past, like, three or four episodes, and this one just gets, it kept it up there. I was so stressed. Yeah, this was intense. (laughs) Yes! I was... I, oh God, I, yeah, no, this was wild. And I had some moments where I just like couldn't believe what was happening. Yeah, absolutely. And we had some of the craziest moments, like last week and this week. Like, again, if you listen to last week's episode, I had my issues, but I still think it was an amazing episode. Mm-hmm. I was just like, wow, we are just hitting it out of the park with these episodes. Like, any issues I have had aside, like the boys' role playing and the story in general is getting just so good. So good. The stakes are getting so like we're so clearly high. reaching a climax point. I don't think of the podcast, but like no. we're getting close to something big. Oh, one hundred percent. All right, so let's get into it. The Thunderman Althea song Rhodes the Ranger, Maybe the Gnome and Moon, now back. Oh, there they are. Because <laughs> if you listen to last week, we were like, where's Mimi and Moon? Where's Mimi and Moon? Hashtag where's Mimi and Moon? That was the big question from last week. And I don't know if we got a sufficient answer. We but we didn't get an answer. It's just like, yep, they're there now. <laughs> they're here again. Uh, they all leave the centaurs at the same time. Their trip back is pretty quiet. Althea seems concerned, while Rhodes, Mimi, and Moon seem impressed, but in the way someone is impressed after a natural disaster. (laughs) Which inspires Justin to coin the term Hurricane Fitzroy, which is a pretty apt description of what happened last time. Yeah, I would definitely say that that is a very good summarization of last week. When they reach Last Hope, it's night, which means Groundsy has stopped making trips with a school cart. Does he have time to be a groundskeeper with all the chauffeuring he's doing? I mean, honestly, like, are there no other methods of transportation from the school? I feel like they should have Groundsy the groundskeeper and Cardi the cart driver. Yes, especially because, like, we know these guys aren't the only ones going out on missions. Yeah, they might even need to have two Carties, a Cartier A and a Cartier B. Oh, my God. Oh, crrr. nope. That's bad. Edit that out. Uh, I'm keeping that in forever. Oh, God. Also, watches. Also, watches? Because Cartier is a brand of watches. Oh, oh, I, I did not know that. <laughs> so they all grab rooms at the Springs Eternal Tavern. The tavern is empty, two or three other patrons around, even though it's the town's only tavern. Barb the bartender is there and turns towards them, her hawk familiar mirroring her movements. She greets them, even though she's surprised to see them, and asks they close the door quickly behind them. Argo asks why she's so surprised to see them, to which Barb says there's been demon attacks all over the area. And I was like, demon attacks? What? How long were we at the centaur camp for? (laughs) But the tavern is warded against demons, so like A+. Mm. So they are safe while they're here. Fitzroy asks about the attacks, and Barb says they've mostly been sightings, a lot of imps in particular. Probably any imps that were able to escape Mission Imp Hospital. But not Ian. Not Ian, Mm because he's a good guy. Selling cheeses. Yeah, at yours is Bed Bath and the Great Beyond, which is this one. Barnes and Nobles. Uh, The Barnes and Nobles. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Fitzroy reluctantly offers to go imp hunting again, but Barb assures him there's a squad of people patrolling and that Fitz looks awful, so he should rest. I'm sure he does because, like, he went through hell last time. But that's, like, such a rude thing to say. It is. It's like when people are like, 
you look sick. No one ever wants to hear that. Or you look really tired. Oh, yeah. Thanks. I just look like crap. Fitzroy does take it in stride, though, as he tells her, got cursed. Check out my badass brand and shows off his brand. <laughs> then he asks if there's a particular drink that she might recommend for him in the wake of being cursed. Fitzroy cuts her off and says that he'll have a virgin Shirley Temple. <laughs> Which, honestly, this is unrelated. Who doesn't love a good Shirley Temple? And I actually love a good virgin Shirley Temple. Yeah, I've only ever had the virgin Shirley Temples. What alcohol goes in those? It's just vodka. Oh, I've only ever had Shirley Temples as a kid, so I've only ever had the virgin. Which is why, I mean, it kind of tastes the same because vodka kind of has no flavor. It's just mm, alcohol. Exactly. So it's it's not bad. We should get a dirty Shirley at some point. But for now, I love Virgin Shirley Temples. Oh, heck yes. So Fitzroy made a solid choice. The Fear Book asks for a teeny apple teeny. <clears throat> and Argo asks for a fuzzy navel, which <laughs> Fear Book says it's too late. <laughs> <laughs> he already has one. But I love that they all went for like, I mean, I literally say this with no shade because this is what I get when I go to bars. All like, quote unquote, girly drinks. Mm-hmm. Because like, there is like a lot of like, oh, guys should just drink like scotch straight or whatever. Yeah. But like when I go to bars, I'm like, what's your fruitiest, funnest drink? Because those are the best ones. Well, and I, I saw this uh, TikTok. <laughs> I know. I'm always on TikTok. I know. I have And it was not. this guy and uh, orders like a fruity drink and this like macho guy comes up to him and he's like Ugh, that's such a girl a drink for girls i only drink beer like a man and he's like but why this actually tastes good and it has so much alcohol like i'm gonna get drunk so fast off of this and he's like nah i'm a man i only drink beer and it takes me 32 beers to get drunk and he's like but you could accomplish the same thing with one of these drinks and it would taste so good and he's like no but it's so true because like you these fun fruity drinks are always like 50 percent alcohol and you get wrecked on them yes because they have at least at least one if not multiple shots of something in it yeah no listen kids fruity drinks are the way to go listen kids don't listen to that listen adults that we are calling kids listen to that no kids i said what i said oh god (laughs) talking (laughs) to us does not promote underage drinking Althea pays for the drinks, even though Fitzroy offers to say it's his birthday, then cry. <laughs> uh, which, you know, if it's his birthday, he's going to cry if he wants to. He, yeah, you, that's what you get to do on your birthday. But Althea assures them it's fine. When Barb hears Althea's voice, she looks her up and down, the hawk doing the same thing, and then seems to recognize her because she calls Althea avenging angel. And I was like, ooh, avenging angel. Right? Damn. Which Althea responds to with Bloodhawk Barb. And I was like, you didn't. This is new. You came up with this name after last week. Because Justin became a Bloodhawk. Because when he became a Bloodhawk, Travis was like, what's a Bloodhawk? I'm not mad at it. But I was like, oh, I see where this came from. It came from your brother. They went to school together. I'm assuming over at Hieronymus Wiggenstaff's. Probably. Barb studied the villain track as Althea studied to be a hero. Barb was supposedly on track to be a really cool villain, but she got caught by an errant curse, making her blind. And so she bought the tavern and settled down. Mm-hmm. Which, I've said this before, but uh, Travis is really good at uh, disability representation. Yes. Yes, 100%. Which I love. Yeah. Uh, her seeing IHOC. It's her familiar, right? Yeah, I believe so. That's super cool. When asked about her past, Althea grows uncomfortable, saying she doesn't do the hero thing anymore and now works for the Heroic Oversight Guild. Fitzroy says Althea is still doing heroic stuff, especially since she saved him. And Althea corrects her previous statement to say she's not a professional hero anymore, but still a hero, and I agree. Yeah, I would too. I love Althea. I mean, yeah, we've, we stand Althea on this top podcast. We always have. 
100 oh forever and for always stan althea argo wants to know if they're going to get cool code names like avenging angel and bloodhawk barb to which travis maybe althea it's hard to tell because he's not really using character voice here says what are you talking about you're the thunderman argo clarifies saying thunderman is a team name and he wants individual names uh, to which whichever one of them is talking says that argo's just a sidekick and they usually don't get cool names yikes that's so harsh <laughs> He quickly rebuts by saying some do and lists off Speedy, Robin, and Batmite, uh, uh, to which Justin says that he's breaking the fourth wall. But I will, in breaking that fourth wall, add that Batmite is not a sidekick to Batman. I don't know who Batmite. Batmite is a fifth dimensional creature that is obsessed with Batman. Like a stalker? Oh, kind of. So there is a Superman villain called Mr. Mixiaspitlick, who is a fifth dimensional creature that like terrorizes Superman. But fifth dimensional creatures are like, like tricksters. Like you can imagine them like trickster gods. Okay. And Batmite is one that is obsessed with Batman. So they can warp reality and stuff. So he has consistently tried to be like, Batman, Batman, notice me, senpai. But yeah, he is not Batman's sidekick. I guess you could ca- call him that in certain stories and certain arcs, but he's more like a pain in his butt than anything. I mean, it sounds like it. He sounds exhausting. Fitzroy steps in to say that they need to debrief, suggesting that the Thundermen bring Althea into the circle of trust. The Fearbog is unsure, saying they swore their silence on this, but Fitzroy doesn't think Hilgomus is entirely on the level, so he thinks it might be a two wrongs make a right kind of situation. Mm. Fitzroy then compiles a list of everything Hilgomus has done for them, brainwashed the Fearbog a bunch, Asked the boys to go on a mission to save his dog brother, and that's kind of the end of the list. <laughs> I mean, he was there. He did have student teacher meetings with Fitzroy several times, yeah. but he never got his credits transferred. Yeah, mm. you know who did that term? Phoronymus did. Yeah. He then composed a list of things Althea has done for them, which is incalculable. Incalculable. Uh, which is true. She's done so much for them. Heck, even the meetings he had with her were more impactful than the meetings he had with Hagelmas. You know what? You're not wrong there. So Fitzroy trusts her more and is eager to bring her in to help with his fight against the demon prince. The Fearbulk says, first in Fearbulk, then in common, that the truth is the honor of the tribe. Again, love how many times he's like, he says something and he's like, which in Fearbulk is like, so good. Yeah. I mean, I know Fearbulk is a real language within the D&D world, but do you think these are actual phrases? I don't know what he's doing, actually. I, I, I might try to look it up and add it into the, the mid section notes mm-hmm. because he's got to be doing something. Otherwise, he's just coming up with it. But we'll, we'll find out. Yeah, because it sounds legit. It does sound legit. And Argo says that maybe they shouldn't trust anyone at all right now. That maybe it's just better to keep it within their group. Vitzroy wonders what they're going to do once they go back to school, suggesting they'd walk into the principal's office and get incinerated. And Argo wonders if they'd even be allowed back at school. I mean, I get it because Phoronimus is technically the one who's in charge of the school, but Higglemus is like waiting for them. Yeah, that's true. But if her if Hieronymus while they were gone was like be on the lookout, they went rogue while they were out and like killed someone, so we need to have them apprehended. Like That's very Harry Potter seven vibes. Exactly. Oh my mm-hmm. god. Which real quick, when Althea's song was first introduced, I was like, Umbridge. And I'm glad she wasn't Umbridge. <laughs> Like in the beginning, like when she first Yeah, came. when she was first, first introduced, because it was very ominous. We were scared of her for like a little bit. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, is she going to be the Umbridge? Like, but she oh wasn't. Oh my God. I'm, I'm so glad that she's not. I didn't draw a line to Umbridge just because she's like the actual worst, but I'm so glad Althea isn't. Fitzroy does point out that they were personally invited by the malefactor himself so that they will get in and likely walk into a trap. Ugh. He really wants backup and the Fearbog and Argo are swayed by his argument. The Thundermen sit with Althea and spill the beans. They give a brief recap. Althea asks why they stole the apple, which answers my question from last week, where I was like, does she know? Did she see this? What's happening? So she did see it. She did. And they let her know they needed it for Higglemas' potion to get the real Hieronymus back. Mm -hmm. 
Then they can fight the demon prince and save the day. Yay! Althea goes to the bar, picks up three shot glasses full of a strong spirit, and she downs two and has him go through it all again. And I was like, yeah, that's a that's an understandable reaction. I'm not surprised that she did that. And honestly, I might do it myself. <laughs> honestly, I was like, oh my god, when you put it like that. Griffin does want to roll inside to see if Althea is surprised by this information. Then he wonders why he rolled his physical dice, <laughs> because, you know, he does have digital dice. All these kids with their digital dice these days. Physical dice? I don't know. It's just so much more satisfying to me. It is way more satisfying. I only, I mean, as a DM, sometimes I roll a lot more digital dice just because you'd roll so many dice as a DM. Yeah, no, I totally get that. As a player, I pretty much never roll digital dice because as a player, you only get to roll dice so often. As a DM, it's all you're ever doing, mm-hmm. which I was actually listening to a thing with Brandon Lee Mulligan. Or he was saying, when you're a DM who who gets the rare opportunity to be a player, you get so much more upset by bad dice rolls. Because when you're a DM, it's kind of like, yeah, I get to do this all day. When you're a player, it's like, but this was my one chance to do something cool. It's so, so true. Uh, <laughs> but he gets an 18, and this is news to her for sure. She mentions that she probably was educated by this Froronymous, and Fitzroy points out that between a demon prince or a dogman, a demon will give you more educational value. <laughs> I was like, okay. I mean, I think the non-dog version of him would have been the teacher, but okay. Fitzroy wants to know if Althea can light the beacons of Gondor, which I did understand that reference. You did? It is a Lord of the Rings thing. It is Lord of the Rings thing. Good job. Uh, I have not seen it, and I will eventually. <laughs> One of these days. To summon all of the heroic oversight guild to go to the school. Althea says she believes them, but not everyone is going to believe this story. Mm-hmm. And as they started telling the world that one of the most renowned heroes and educators of Nua is secretly a demon prince, based on the word of just three students, it might not go over so well. Yeah, it's true. Hieronymus has a history. Well, and this was Higglemas's point too, because they were like, well, why don't you just tell everyone? And he was like, because who's going to believe me? Exactly. And I think they forgot about that conversation because they tried to say that Higglemas's testimony would help, as would turning the dog back into Hieronymus, but Althea is still wary, saying Hog is a lot of bureaucracy and red tape. Mm-hmm. Fitzroy points out that Hog is staffed by former heroes and villains, and Althea says, in name, which Ugh. is, again, so Ugh. good. It's beautiful. Beautiful line. God, yeah, I loved it. Argo wonders if they need to put together their own team to go against the prince, and Althea says she can start to get wheels in motion because she's on their side and won't let them go into this fight alone. She continues on to say that for the past 50 years, this demon prince has had influence over about 50% of heroes and villains that have entered the field, including people who work at the guild, understandably. Oh my god. Which makes sense. I mean, he's ingrained. I mean, how many people are going to believe that like their favorite professor or favorite headmaster was a demon prince this entire time? Exactly. And like his sphere of influence is so huge. huge. Yes. Fitzroy confesses that he hadn't thought of that and says that this is another mark against the school and it's not the elite institution that some believe it to be. <laughs> Which I don't think that's what that means, but he's going to hate it forever. Yeah, I don't think he's ever going to appreciate Wiccan staffs. Yeah. He asks if they are going to walk into the school and confront the demon prince, an idea he doesn't like, and Argo says they need to go to Higglemas and give him the apple so that they could turn Hieronymus back into himself which would be proof positive that they are on the side of the angels. The avenging angels? Uh, which he asks Southia to excuse. <laughs> the fear book says they have to trust Higglemas, which both Fitzroy and Althea don't like the sound of. Fitzroy mm-hmm. asks if Althea can distract him with some of the rigid bureaucracy she mentioned to give them time to shore up their war chests, as it were. Althea says she's noticed violations around the school they normally let slide, but can get more investigators on those. Fitzroy then asks the others if they have any friends at the school who might help, and Argo says he knows some people he can call on, and the fear bulk says he knows one, that he knew a Pegasus and briefly talked to the librarian. <laughs> 
All right, so we've got Breeze Through the Willows, Sabor, and maybe some of the Unbroken Chain. <laughs> maybe some of the Unbroken Chain. If they're not in on it already, dun dun dun. Oh we'll find god. out. Oh my god. When Fitzroy says he knows more than that, the Fearbulk starts to make a list of everyone he's ever spoken to, which includes the person at the Sables, the accounting teacher, Fitzroy, Argo, several Garys, and Fitzroy says he doesn't need to continue. <laughs> Just as Fitzroy is about to head up to get some rest, Travis has the boys make wisdom saving throws. Ugh. Argo and the Fearbulg spring up from the table and sprint outside, leaving Althea and Fitzroy at the table, and none of them know why. Which, this is like my favorite and least favorite moments as a DM, is when you make like a surprise throw and someone rolls right at the right below the number they need because you roll because you set a high DC for something. Because mm-hmm. you're always like, all right, everyone roll. And there's someone that's like, haha, I got a 19. I'm so safe. And you're like, in your head, you're like, oh, the DC was 20. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> that's why saving throws make me so nervous. Clearly the saving throw was 16, you know? And it had to a 15 is just so close. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A voice beams into the tavern saying, we are here for the Fearbulg, Fitzroy, and Argonaut Keen. Seems weird that only Argo got the full name, but whatever. Yeah. It's super weird. Like, why wasn't it the Fearbulg, Fitzroy, Maple Court, and Argonaut Keen? Or even better, Fitzroy, Maple Court, and Absentia for the Realm of Goodcastle and Argonaut Keen. <laughs> Can you imagine this this booming voice that Travis had manipulated for the show doing the entirety of Fitzroy's name? That would have been so funny. It would have been hilarious. Send out Fitzroy or we will burn the building down with everyone inside. Oh my god. Hello everyone, it's me, PJ, your fastidious friend, here as always to thank you for tuning in and listening to our podcast. We hope you're enjoying this high-stress episode. Everything seems to be coming together, and I'm excited to see where all these threads lead. See that convergence and more by keeping up with us on social media. Follow us on Facebook by searching for at Taz. There you can also find the official Taz group, where you can interact with us as well as other fans of the podcast. You can also find us on Twitter at Taz. Or go to our website, talkin-taz.pinecast.co, for links to those socials as well as all of our episodes. If you're enjoying the show, tell your friends about it and leave a review on iTunes. It really does help. Notes from this episode. Well, I do correct myself later, I did incorrectly say Aaron and Yaz were CR13 creatures when they are CR12. Still overpowered for these boys, but slightly less so. I said I would research what language Justin is speaking when he speaks Fearbulg, and I'm happy to report that it is giant which is regularly spoken by the Fearbulg race. An additional note, every time he has spoken in Fearbulg, he has been quoting one of the main tenets of the Fearbulg Code, which are bravery, effort, and honor over birth, the tribe's honor over yours, the blood of the runt is the blood of a king, which he has used, give a thousand for nothing, which he has also used, and truth is the honor of the tribe, which he uses this episode. A plus for Justin for having all of that knowledge on hand, but technically, all Fearbulk should have the Fearbulk code on their person at all times, so he's just playing in character. In terms of fighting this out, Istrafangem, which translates to this took effort. Last week, we left you with a question about interesting homebrew rules you've played with, and luckily, no one has done anything too wild out there. This week, let's talk about impossible to win scenarios in D&D in honor of this episode. Has your DM ever pit you against an enemy you had no way of defeating? Were you simply meant to hold on until aid came, or were you meant to run and just didn't take the hint? Do you enjoy these types of encounters, or do you just find them needlessly stressful? Let us know! Now, back to the podcast. Fitzroy lets Barb know her wards aren't very good before discreetly looking out one of the windows. 
He's able to see Argo and the Fearbulg being held by some hulking figure, but before he can get a clear picture, a flaming projectile hurtles towards the window, but he dodges out of the way. Oh my god. Griffin asks if Argo and the Fearbulg are mind-controlled, and Travis clarifies that they have been charmed. A little crab scuttles up to the party while Rhodes, Mimi, and Moon usher the few patrons to the back exit of the building. Snippers sees a pit fiend holding Fearbulg and Argo, oh two Aranezes, and several pairs of red glowing eyes in the shadows, and I was like, uh, okay, uh, okay, uh, pit fiends? Way too overpowered for this fight. Aranezes? Way too overpowered for this fight. Aranezes are like CR 13, I think? I don't know off the top of my head. You know. I don't know. Oh my god. I mean, I've been in unbalanced combat before. I don't think he's actually like about to like have them get like murder death no by these creatures but yeah i was like pit fiends are cr20 creatures yeah no those are like like pit fiends have straight up 300 hp oh my god this and like they have resistance to like anything that isn't magic like and aaron yeses are like cr13 creatures so like there's a combined like cr50 and up in this piece right now and these boys are only what level four level five yeah i can't remember (laughs) like i literally like had like i had a a moment where i was like are we about to tpk and then i was like no he's gotta have a plan he's gotta have a plan oh i yeah no i was definitely like i i trust you travis i know you have a plan but oh my god this combat is going to be insane because anytime i run super unbalanced combat i try really hard to be like help is on the way just hold out for three more rounds type of thing obviously with it being more story than just me saying that exactly yeah because like i was stressed the entire time and i was like say psych say psych right now say psych right now javis i'm stressed out i'm sweating i'm sweating again and what are these red eyes i mean we learned in a second but i was like what are these red eyes so not only do we have these Aaron yeses and a pit fiend which are already like super unbalanced we have tons of red eyes in the shadows like what the heck Fitzroy asks what will happen to the Thunderman, and the demon says if they don't accept in 60 seconds, he'll kill the Fearbulg, which he could easily do. That's a goddamn pit feed. Mm-hmm. To which Justin says, damn, nice, I'm going to re-roll a Dark Elf. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay. I mean, listen- I, that's my same thought. I was like, yeah, we're about to TVK, I guess. <laughs> yep, I guess that we're done with the Fearbulg and Argo and Fitzroy, so who's yeah. next? He looks at Althea and Barb asking for help as he smashes through the windows. They ask him to distract the demons while they grab their stuff. Make sure the bar is secure, then they'll come help him. The demon then says 15 seconds, because <laughs> uh, he seems to have a pretty fast watch. And even <laughs> Fitzroy is like, can you give me 30 more seconds, please? I'm not done. <laughs> uh, and he starts to count down from 10, when Fitzroy walks out disguised as Hieronymus Wiggenstaff, saying, it's all right, guys, we got him. I loved that. That was so genius. Fitzroy rolls a dirty 20 on his performance, causing the demons to pause for a moment. Fitzroy continues to say he's just there to observe and will stand off to the side. Henny got evaluations afterwards, and that it is him, the demon prince, and he can continue counting down. <laughs> the demon, a little shaken, says that since Fitzroy didn't come outside, he should probably kill the Fearbulg, and Fitzroy says, no, you're not actually supposed to do that. You're supposed to threaten to be scary, but don't kill them. <laughs> he says he's going to take them back to his office and do detention on them. <laughs> Do detention on them. <laughs> and we'll let the demons know when the big one is happening with a messenger bird. <laughs> uh, the pit fiend then laughs and says, welcome to the party, Fitzroy, because he has true sight and the spell doesn't work on him. It's so funny that Fitzroy's just like coming on me like, we got him. But I do like that Travis played along with it. Oh, yeah. Like, because, I mean, he, he wouldn't have any reason to use his true sight until he was like bad at lying. <laughs> and he was very bad at lying. They roll initiative. Aaron Yaz one goes first, and they are a demon who looks like an angel, uh, which you've 
fought in one of my campaigns before. Oh, wait, you guys didn't fight the Aranyaz. The Aranyaz was too powerful and you guys like avoided the heck out of it. Which one was this one? It was when you guys were in the crashed warship when you guys were all telepathically linked. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I was not in that combat. I. You were not in the combat. You were outside. I was scouting. I, I was scouting, but and I you had... were you were telepathically linked with the group that was inside, trying actively to avoid the Aranyas. I am the type of player that always tries to actively avoid combat, <laughs> always. And I even I was in my head like, oh, I really hope they don't actually alert the Aranyas because she's gonna kill them. Uh, yeah, no, they're no joke. Uh, she takes a swing at Fitzroy and rolls a nat 20 on her first attack. And I was like, oh, no, Oof. he's going to die. Yep, we're all dead. And also hits on the second because he has a boy cook wear, not an armor wear. <laughs> but he casts shield to successfully block the attack, which I was like, oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. Uh, but the spell doesn't protect him from the third attack because, again, Aaron Yez's are CR 12. I think I've been saying 13, but they're CR 12. Oh, my God. That's so intense. Three attacks. Three attacks. Griffin asks if this is one of those fights where you're supposed to lose. To which Travis asks, is any fight a fight you're supposed to lose, Griffin? But actually, it is a fight you're, they're supposed to lose. <laughs> yeah, no, this one 100% is one of those. It's like, just tell them. Just tell them. But obviously, don't because, like, the narrative. But in my head, I was screaming, just tell them. But also, don't. But we have the promise of Althea helping them. Yeah, no, for sure. That's the, like help is on the way it's kind of like when we had our unbalanced fight i was like literally kind of similar an angel is on the way who is going to save you Mm -hmm, (laughs) you just mm -hmm. need to not die oh wait you've died three times okay (laughs) just just please try to hold them off i was really glad that that encounter that i ran was like built in with like that angel has three resurrections stocked (laughs) because i was like because you guys might perma die here did very possibly could have yes and luckily you didn't because your healers were on top of it oh god bless healers erin yes too then goes drawing her longbow and goes for fitzroy which hits and i was like oh i'm surprised homeboy ain't dead yet (laughs) i was so shocked when the first erin yes just didn't annihilate him in all the confusion, the Pit Fiend dropped concentration on his charm, so Argo is no longer charmed. Argo is able to sneak attack the Pit Fiend, stabbing for an eye, but he misses, so he hides behind the Pit Fiend. The Pit Fiend is up next, but before he can go, Griffin says he googled Pit Fiend 5e, and he uh, crapped his butt into his pants because they can't kill this thing. Yeah. Which, again, I agree. The thing has 300 HP. And I think, I don't think that they don't trust Travis, but I think Travis, again, could have done a better job of establishing that this was a fight they are kind of supposed to lose, mm-hmm. or at least wait for help on. Because I think Griffin Googled it because he was like, I don't trust this. Because I don't think he would have Googled it otherwise. That's true. As soon as your players start to Google what they're fighting, do they trust Because Griffin him? doesn't read like a metagamer to me. No. Absolutely so I think he not. was legit like, Travis might have unbalanced his encounter too much. Which. He did, but it's on purpose. But I think he needed to do a better job of <laughs> relaying that it was on purpose. <laughs> Justin asks if the fear bulk is also still charmed, and Travis confirms that he is not. Now it is a pit fiend's turn, and he tries to bite Argo at disadvantage, but he still hits. Which I was, I thought that was weird because he hid. He he uses action to hide behind him. It makes no sense that he would go for a hidden target behind him and also like i feel like and this is just maybe me but i feel like he would have had to roll perception to see if he could even tell where argo argo went yeah like he's just behind him but he hid successfully behind him i don't know i don't know to me it would make more sense to go for the fear bowl go for fitzroy because they're right in front of him but i'm not the dm Argo dodges to take half damage and rolls a nat 20 on his con save, so he is not poisoned then he claws at fitzroy and hits which takes him down to one hp oh my god Fitzroy is next, and he asks if they are going to kill them or if they plan to take them to their leader. The Fiend says he'll have fun with them first, then take them back to their boss. Fitzroy surrenders then, 
and the Fiend says he'll move his attention to a new target. So Fitzroy rages and jumps at the Pit Fiend with his Maul. With his Wild Surge, necrotic damage is dealt to all creatures in a 30-foot radius, and he regains hit points uh, based on how much damage he does. Thank God. Oh, the dice want to tell a story. He hits the Fiend and deals a pretty decent hit. Now we're enough to take away 300 HP, but (laughs) something something there. Yeah. The Fear Bulk is next, and he jumps onto the face of the Pit Fiend. He pulls out his remaining pocket glue and glues himself to the Pit Fiend's face. And I was like, genius. Oh my god, Justin. The Pit Fiend cannot remove the Fear Bulk from his face because he is glued to him. And he rolls to determine how long the glue holds, and it's a pretty decent amount of time. It is, yeah. The eyes are next, and six hellhounds come out of the darkness. And I was like, how unbalanced is this encounter going to get? <laughs> we already have two Aranias as a pit feed. I mean, hellhounds aren't even super high CR, but I think even the six hellhounds would have been a decent fight. Yes. Let alone <laughs> two Aranias in a pit feed. In a pit feed. <laughs> but before they can attack, a loud roar comes from the tavern, and three imposing figures come out to stand by their side. Whoop, whoop. Bloodhog Barb has removed her glasses and donned her signature helmet, and her eyes scan the scene in perfect synchronicity with her Bloodhawk familiar flying overhead. Yay! So sick. It's so cool. I told you it was a seeing eye hawk. <laughs> I didn't doubt you. She grabs two sickles and advances. Next comes in the Avenging Angel, her armor and scimitar glowing with radiance and hovers in the air above them. Finally, an eight-foot beast stands at its full height, where the chainmail had seemed ill-fitting on this human form, it fits Moon's werebear form perfectly. And I was like, ooh, Moon's Moon, a werebear. He's a werebear. I love it. It was so cool. Althea swoops in and heals Fitzroy for 41, which I was like, ugh, praise. Oh, thank God. And then she plows one of the Aranyazes and pulls her away from the fight. And I was like, ugh, praise. <laughs> thank God. Bloodhawk Barb rushes in and goes for the second Aranyaz. Moon then attacks the onslaught of Hellhounds, which leaves the three boys against the pit feed, which I was like, Still insanely unbalanced, but oh, but I'll I'll take it over what we had. Yes, so so <laughs> much better. It's still like three, like maybe level six question mark characters against one CR twenty monster, which is not how that balance works. Nope. But it's way better than CR twenty, CR twelve, CR twelve, and CR whatever hellhounds are times like six or seven of them. Yeah, so I was like, this is at least better. I'll take it. <laughs> And it doesn't sound like Travis is using the Pit Fiend to his full no, capabilities. I mean, no. He's not doing legendary actions or anything like that. So, Well, I mean, Pit Fiends don't even have legendary actions. But they don't for a no. CR20 character? Just because you're CR20 doesn't mean you're legendary. Uh, but Pit Fiends do have four attacks. Oh, And like, I think like one of their attacks, like their bite attack is like 4d6. Their claws are like 2d8. I think their tail does like 3d10. Like it's, they're beefy boys. Oh my God. I just started sweating. Fitzroy says, looks like you should have taken the surrender, dickbag. (laughs) (laughs) Travis then says, we can imagine the NPCs fighting one another and reassures us that it's pretty cool, but reigns in the fight to just the Thunderman and the Pit Fiend. You've done that before. I love a fight where it's like your allies kind of draw characters away from you. Mm -hmm. There's actually this super, super cool book series called uh, The Demonata. It's by Darren Chan. Mm -hmm. And one of the big cruxes of it is there's this like demon god called Lord Loss. And he has like this beef against his family because long, long ago, this guy was going to die and he made a deal with Lord Loss like, hey, if I beat you in chess, you can't kill me. Like, And he lost to him. So Lord Loss was pissed and like mm-hmm. cursed his family for all eternity. And every generation, like there's a chance that Lord Loss, I might, I'm totally misquoting, but is going to have to do a chess match against him. And if they win, like, or else like he's going to murder them, like just slaughter them. Dang. And so as he lost the first time, he added a stipulation that his familiars can attack you throughout the entire chess match. Uh, 
That's and like fair. his familiars are messed up. Like one of them is like a like floating baby head with like fire in its eyes. And like Ew. another one's like an alligator with like woman hands. It's they're all super creepy. Ew. But um the thing becomes like you have to find two allies on your side that can fight his familiars while you do your chess match against Lord Loss. Whoa. And the whole thing is about him preparing to become good at chess because like everyone in his family has always been good at chess except him and now he knows why. And like then finding the people that are going to be his allies in the fight. And the book series is so good. Like there's like a book on each of the allies and their histories and the progression of preparing for the fight and then going into the whole demon world in general because like there's so many demons. It's it's a really good book series. Highly recommended. So many demons. Is that what it's called? (laughs) So many demons. Well, I mean, it's called the Demonata series. Okay. I prefer so many demons. <laughs> Oops, all demons. <laughs> well, it's demons. <laughs> oh, God. Argo is up again, dosing Florence in the dose of arsenic poison from the hospital and sticks it in the right butt cheek of the pit fiend. Heck yes. Travis hasn't been included in extra dice for poison damage, which will continue to afflict him as more rounds of combat pass. Super cool. Which is nice of Travis because pit fiends are immune to poison. Oh, that is very nice Like of immune Travis. immune, not even resistant. <laughs> Clint even was like, I don't know if this is going to work, but yeah, I, I, think I he want was like, to do this. I'll give you guys some hope here. <laughs> I mean, listen. Yeah, no, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. The pit fiend pulls the fear bulk from his face, ouch, Ugh. and takes damage for pulling him away and grants the fear bulk an opportunity attack, which he misses, unfortunately. Unfortunately. I think it was a genius idea. I'm sad it was kind of negated so quickly, mm-hmm. but I'm glad there was consequences for it being negated so quickly. Yeah, and I, Travis said that too as soon as Justin and he established like how the fear bulb was on his face and that sort of thing. He was like, okay, if he tries to pull you off, there's going to be like damage inflicted. But until then, you are very much stuck to his face. So like there yeah. were, there was like a compromise. Yeah. Fitzroy sips his calm down kombucha, dropping out of rage <laughs> and casts a lightning chromatic orb on the fiend, putting his tides of chaos on the spell, which gives him advantage. And he gets a nat 20. <laughs> He then rolls on the wild search table. It ends up growing eight inches. Eight inches. Making him 6'4". Oh my god. I was like, oh my god. Like, I love the weird permanent effects on the magic search table because they do nothing for combat, but they could completely change how you roleplay a character. Yes. This is a wild one. He grew. Especially considering, like, I think Griffin purposely built Fitzroy to be a little bit of a short king, you know? He was, yeah. And now he's (laughs) 6'4". Griffin was like laughing and screaming. He's like, I just grew eight inches. Like he was shook. I would have been too, because that's insane. That's a permanent character change. Yes, it is. Travis says he has to make note of this for future interactions because there are some people who go on summer vacation and get a new haircut, but Fitzroy grew eight inches. (laughs) (laughs) This is like literally like the first week of school. Like it's his first week as a villain and he's going to come back with like the height glow up. Oh my God. Fitzroy. The fear bog is next. And then asking how the weather is, it's about 75 degrees with a light breeze <laughs> and oncoming storm way off in the distance, which was ominous. Mm, yeah. The fear bog hears storm and he's like, all right, well, I'm going to call lightning. <laughs> but the fiend saves. Oh, unfortunately. Ugh, that's so sad. The fiend takes half damage from the spell, which some, ba- some damage is better than no damage. Some damage is always better than no damage. It's always so frustrating when you want to do cool things and then they don't happen. I can't tell you how many times I tried to charm people down in Avernus when we were playing, and it just never worked. It never worked. And I, I promise you, hand to God, I had never once fudged a roll on any of those saving throws. I know. But the dice never wanted it to happen. They didn't. And, like, I had built a bard, and, like, she was so nice. And, 
God, I just wanted to charm everybody. And the dice were like, no, you're not going to do that. And then once in a while, you would finally charm them and Moonbeam would be like, haha, time to slaughter them. And he would just murder them. And I was like, no! <laughs> Moonbeam, no! Oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, God. The Pit Fiend, seeing this is not going as well as he thought it would, says something infernal. And two more Pit Fiends step from the oh, darkness. Oh, my God! Oh, God. The Althea turns to them and says they won't stop until they have them so she can hold them off while the Thundermen run away. Yeah. 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 And yeah, sometimes you just got to run away. Sometimes you just got to run away. Honestly, like people and you guys in my group have gotten pretty good at this sometimes. But sometimes there's nothing in the rules that says like once the fight has started, it can never end until everyone's dead. You know? Yeah. Once you're it's, there's no rules that say once you're in combat, you must finish combat. Yeah. Like, run away. Get out of there. I mean, they might try to chase you, but get the heck out of there. I have definitely, first of all, I always try to avoid combat. And then second, as soon as it's someone who's like way too big, way too powerful, I'm like, all right, we're out of here. And I just run. Ugh, like when you guys walked into that room with the roper and it like literally like one shotted Nox. Oh my God. And then Grover resurrected Nox with a healing spell. And then you guys were like, we're getting out of here. Oh, yeah. Instantly, I was like, just everybody leave. It doesn't matter. We're getting out. Uh, and luckily, he had knocked him away when he one-shotted him, so he didn't even get an opportunity attack. He did it. Thank God. Oh, God. The boys run hard and fast, hellhounds on their heels, and they hear what might be a storm coming in, but then they can tell it's the sound of large wings, then hooves, pounding on the ground. And I was like, <gasps> as three pegasi land beside them, yes! one black and white, another gray, and the leader, white. The fear bulb recognizes her as Breeze Through the Willows. And I literally, oh right now, again, got chills when he was like, Breeze Through the Willows is here because I love Breeze Through the Willows. Oh, I love her so much. She comes up alongside the fear bulb and says, get on. We have to hurry. And I got chills again. It's such a good scene. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Uh, this is a phenomenal episode. It is. And again, that fight was stressful, but I'm glad it, I'm glad it was over. Oh, yeah. No, the fight had me sweating the entire time this show has done crazy things for my stress level but the ending with the pegasi like flying in to get them was so worth it but that's all we've got for you guys this week unfortunately <sighs> i think that was, that was a, i think that was enough i think week. it was more than enough Ugh. i think i need to take a nap mm -hmm. uh, decompress take a break do you have your own chill out kombucha yeah i need to take out some chill out kombucha <laughs> you know we're gonna have a a, a relaxing sesh <laughs> yeah yeah so while we relax uh we'll uh take a break and we'll see you guys again next thursday but until then i've been pj i've been lauren and we'll see you next week when we are once again talking taz